get me so hot, I want your lips on me now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, now you say something. I, uh, I really don't think so. Come on. You like this woman, right? Well, yeah. You want to see her again, right? Sure. Well, if you can't talk dirty to me, how are you going to talk dirty to her? Now tell me you want to caress my butt. <laughs> hey, it's TV's BBS. And I'm Sasha Bates. And you know the deal. This is the podcast where we put our favorite TV characters that we find fascinating, mysterious, into therapy. Sasha, tell us about that clip at the top. That was Ross and Joey from Friends. And we're going to be moving not one, but two of them from their couch at Central Perk to my therapist's couch. And those two are the siblings, Ross and Monica. I think you've picked the right two people, Sash. The reason that we're doing two of them is that Ross and Monica are so intertwined as siblings. And I think it's really interesting to look at that sibling relationship and how different and also how similar siblings can be and how much parental influence affects them. So... What I would say to you guys, listeners, this week, get yourself one uh, like a ridiculously large mug with uh, a weirdly small amount of coffee in it. Sit back and relax as we explore why moving furniture, green ottomans in particular, by the way, can spark self-realisation and why winning at football can mean everything. As ever, there's probably going to be some free language. I mean, who knows? And, and there's going to be plot reveals. So prepare yourself and welcome to Shrink the Box. All right, it's been a long, long time. So for those of you who haven't watched season one of Friends or can't even remember that far back, previously on Friends, we were introduced to the six main characters, Chandler Bing, Phoebe Buffet, uh, Monica Geller, Ross Geller, Rachel Green, and Joey Tribbiani. How you doing? Rachel, who left her fiancé at the altar on her wedding day, has come to New York and ends up living with Monica, basically. Phoebe's just moved out. We learn that Ross has had a big crush on Rachel since they were at school together, and then you get this will-they-won't-they thing kind of throughout. Uh, Ross's ex-wife, Carol, is pregnant with his baby, but she's also just come out as a, as a lesbian when we first meet Ross and has left him. And the episodic nature of the shows sees characters having multiple dates loads of which go wrong quite badly wrong they're all trying to be successful with their careers as well which is also hit and miss and they spend a lot of time sitting around in the infamous central perk coffee shop so that's that's your sort of setup but i'm i'm guessing you all know it and it's such a universal show um and i guess we probably all think we know everything there is to know about monica and ross geller but sash uh, bring us up to speed. Okay, well, I think that Monica's about 26. Ross is about 28. Uh, their parents are Jack and Judy Geller. They were raised on Long Island in New York. Monica wants to be a chef. Ross is a professor of paleontology, and he lives alone in an apartment uh, with his pet monkey, Marcel. Monica lives with Rachel in that huge, lovely apartment that everyone congregates in. Amazing. They're both kind, warm, loving people, very capable of good relationships with, with their friends and, and with each other. But Monica does tend to be rather underestimated, and that means that she has some control issues, which is going to be really interesting to look at. Mm. Ross is such a sort of sentimental, soppy, romantic kind. He he really just wants to love and, and, and be loved to the extent that when he 
he's not married. All he wants to do is be married, but he's, yeah. he's no longer with Carol. He gets a monkey. He gets Marcel the monkey, <laughs> um, such as his sort of uh, need to, to have someone to love. Mm. All right. Well, let's have a listen to a clip that definitely was recorded in New York and not Los Angeles. This doesn't smell like mom's. <laughs> No, it doesn't, does it? But you wanted lumps, Ross? Well, here you go, buddy. You got one. <laughs> oh, God, this is great. The plane is gone, so I guess I'm stuck here with you guys. Hey, we all had better plans, okay? This was nobody's first choice. Oh, really? So why was I busting my ass to make this delicious Thanksgiving dinner? Now this feels like Thanksgiving. <laughs> you got to have a Saki Chandler comment at the mm. end of a clip like that. That was from uh, the one where Underdog gets away uh, from season one, episode nine of Friends, starring David Schwimmer as Ross, Jennifer Aniston, Rachel, Courtney Cox as Monica, Lisa Kudrow as Phoebe, Matt LeBlanc, Joey, and Matthew Perry as Chandler. It's created by David Crane and Marta Kaufman, written by Jeff Greenstein, Jeff Strauss, and Ira Ungerleider. Directed by James Burroughs. We'll give you the full credits for the rest of the clips used at the end of this podcast. Okay, so Sash, first time ever, we've got uh, a sibling pairing. You're almost like a marriage counsellor now. You've got two <laughs> people, you've got a man and a woman, uh, waiting uh, in, in the office uh, to be seen. What are the first issues you notice in your introductions to Ross and Monica? Well, I think what's really interesting is that at one point in the show, Monica says, he's the prince. There was some big ceremony before I was born. And I think that sort of sums it up, that it really feels like he's the anointed one. He's the golden boy and he can do no wrong. So he is clever. He's capable. He's the success story. The parents uh, definitely favour him. And he suffers from the weight of that. People always think that, oh, it's the one that is sort of underestimated, as Monica is, that is um, that have that has all the problems. But Ross can't really let them down. He has to keep up this sort of golden boy pretense. He gets his whole identity from being smart, from being successful. So it's really hard for him to be otherwise, which makes him a bit nerdy, leads him to brag occasionally, leads him to sort of let people know that he's, he's clever. And sometimes it even leads him to lie like um, about uh, Carol leaving him for another woman and being pregnant. And um, so, yeah, he's he's overloaded in, in one direction in, in the sense that he wants to be seen as perfect, but very insecure in others, mainly around romance. Yeah, and he, he's like quick to sort of just let, uh, you know, any problem just weigh on him, like really mm. heavy. So often when he walks into a scene, he looks like a sort of live action Eeyore, yeah, doesn't he? He does. Like, hmm. <laughs> just everything about him is just drooping. Yeah. His he's eyebrows are, yeah, he's very, very <laughs> maudlin. His face makes his face look like twice as long somehow. Mm. And, and, and what about Monica? Yeah, well, she has the opposite problem. Just as he sort of suffers from not being allowed to fail, she's in a way not allowed to succeed because she's never going to be as good as him in, in the parents' eyes. So she feels criticised, she feels infantilised and you see her way of coping with that is to be really over-controlling. Mm. She's also a bit naive. She gets played quite easily. There's a, there's a lot of men that take advantage of her. I think because of that, she has fewer expectations of herself. Yeah, and she, she's like kind of obsessively 
clean, isn't she, as, mm. as I recall? Yeah. She's very, not hair out of place. She's very neat. The flat is perfect. She cooks food perfectly. She won't allow anything not to be just right. So she needs to be perfect in her way and Ross needs to be perfect in his way. His is academically, hers is fire. Mm. Actually, it's sort of the, the feminine attributes. She needs to look feminine. She needs to be good at the homemaking skills. And I think that, in a way, mirrors a lot of what the stereotypical uh, gender roles have been as well. Yeah, Successful man, underestimate, underestimated woman. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and her two best friends are kind of... I think she sees them as a bit chaotic in different mm. ways. Mm. You know, Rachel is a bit untidy, isn't she? And um, Phoebe is obviously <laughs> Phoebe. Yeah. Um, so I think she... she I think they trigger her a little bit. They sort of stress yeah. her out a little bit. I think they really do. I think she really suffers from from, from their messiness because mm. she can't allow that. But I think also that's why she's attracted to them and why Ross is attracted to them because in a way they're the alter egos. Yeah, they, they bring are, about balance. Yeah, they're, they're allowed to be all the things that Ross and Monica don't allow themselves to be. If we think of friends in a sort of historical sense, this is... The height of, the, of 90s culture that we're, we're, we're watching Friends in. So we, we can sort of we can sort of accept that they f these characters feed off of, of the mm. era that they're in. So if they're in their mid to late 20s, they would have been young adults in the 80s. So they would have influences yeah. from those two decades, right? So you, you, you may, may well be right in that there's some slightly outdated expectations. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think so. And I think women spent a long time trying to get to um, a, a position of equality and they went through a slightly odd stage where equality seemed to be, oh, we'll just do what the men do. But you know, yeah, of course, that sort of, right, the little yeah. ladette thing. Oh. But actually any kind of polarisation is not helpful for anyone. I mean, the patriarchy is just as hard on men as it is on women. Any kind, any system that says you can only be one thing mm. is going to be bad whether that's your family system and your parents saying you have to be this because your brother's that or a society that says you have to be this because this is what we expect of men and this is what we expect of women it doesn't help anyone because men can't ever be anything they can't show vulnerability they can't show emotion yeah. they can't not succeed and we also have a very warped version of what success looks like I mean so often success looks like money and power and actually that's not success yeah, sure. You're going to want to be different from your sibling in some way, yeah. right? Especially if you, you come second or third. You've mm. got to find an identity. You can't just be like older sibling Mark II. Yeah. Whether you're a boy or a girl, you're going to want to establish your own independence. So I'm, I'm interested by the similarities and the differences between Ross and uh, Monica. Yeah, there are definitely similarities as as well. They, I mean, they both have this need to be perfect, uh, Ross academically and in his career and Monica in her neatness and, and her control, because they have learned that it's not OK to, to, to fail. And it makes them very competitive. And I mean, there's so many examples, particularly with Monica's competitiveness when they play football. And she, you can just see this sort of like vindictive, <laughs> yeah. like rage in her that she has to beat the boys. She has to show that she's as good as them. Yes! And that would be a shutdown. Shut out! <laughs> Where are you guys going? Come on, one more game. Oh, it's 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. Get out! You guys are always hanging out in my apartment. Come on, I'll only use my left hand, huh? Come on, wussies. 
So if the parents have only got so much praise to give, so much attention to give, then the children are going to have to be different to get different sorts of attention. That can lead to rivalry and can lead to that diversification. I suppose the ultimate nightmare would be if they both wanted to be paleontologists or they both wanted to be chefs. Yeah, I've I've seen that within siblings and that that can be really complicated. Yeah, they don't always just go in polar opposites. Sometimes they do become rivalrous in the same field. Actually, that can also spur each other on to greater levels of success. Is it the Brownlee brothers, those triathletes from Yorkshire? And they have both chosen to excel in the same thing. And actually, by pushing and pushing each other, they're they're normally, you know, gold and silver medalists from what I can see. But then even that's like scary because then you sort of have to present like, I'm really happy my brother got the gold. (laughs) But if you're a real competitor like those boys are... You want the gold, regardless of whether it's your brother. So you can be happy that he's got the gold, but you can't be happy with silver. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, it's the same with Venus and Serena Williams, I I guess. There's loads of acting dynasties. You think of the Baldwin brothers, there's like a million of those. (laughs) (laughs) And that must be tricky because like Alec is like, really mm. clearly the most mm. quote in quotes unquote successful yeah. that may not mean that he's the happiest no no exactly. maybe the one that we rarely see Daniel Baldwin or or Stephen Baldwin is happier mm. because they live they have a more of a private life who knows mm. do you know mm. what I mean so that's an interesting thing yeah to think about like how we view success and how we view rivalry the other thing I wanted to ask you was when I think about my kids they're teenagers now and I've tried, and I still try my utmost to treat them with as much equality as I can muster. But they are so different to each other. And then I start to get in this tizzy of like, is it a chicken and egg scenario? Like, did I create that? Mm-hmm. Or did they create it as infants and work out like, well, I'm not being like her. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the opposite thing. And then I've reacted to that and treated them different. I just don't know. So many different factors feed in. And temperament is absolutely one of, one of those factors. Gender as well. I know that's not the case with your girls. Just where they where they come in, in the birth order. I mean, people always say, oh, yeah, but um, uh, we had the same parents. So how come I'm <laughs> yeah. like this and they're, yeah. they're like that? But the truth is nobody has the same parents because like in Ross and Monica's case, Monica's parents are two years older. They have had two years more of being together. Their relationship may have got better or worse in that time. They may have earned more money or lost money. They may have had all sorts of, I don't know, losses or griefs that have happened to them in that time. When they had Ross, they were first-time parents. In fact, there's a really funny line where Monica says to Ross, Boy, I know they say that you can't change your parents. Boy, if you could... I'd want yours. <laughs> so she actually says wow. they are not your, the same your parents. Your version, yeah. yeah. That's kind of, that's a deep thing to say. I think there's this unsolvable mystery in my younger daughter's head about the three years that she didn't exist yeah. and, and her older sister did. They will never know what it's like to not have an elder sibling who they look up to or dislike or or whatever, but they're always there. And the elder one, in contrast, they get that two years or three years of being the sole focus. And then they have to go through the loss and the grief of suddenly they're not always the golden boy, not always the prince. Temperament is in there as well. Of course, you can't deny that everybody comes in with their own personality, but it's how all those different things interact. And I think Ross, I was saying before about how he's he's so 
can't bear to not have someone to love that he gets that flipping monkey. You could say that Ross went through that huge loss of being the most loved when Monica was born. And in a way, he's trying to get back that feeling of being the special one. So when right. he lost Carol, once again, he's lost to another woman. So he, he might be the, really mm. triggered by having gone through another loss that reflects back, re-triggers his feelings of being lost when Monica was born. So he gets the monkey. And there must be a, an even deeper level with finding out that Carol is pregnant. Yeah. And that, you know, sure, you'd like to think he could be a father to that child, but the f the feeling of mm. like, oh, Usurped. here's, the, yeah, this family starting mm. again without me. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the insecurities that sort of live within or underneath the sibling relationship that the Gellers have. How do they defend themselves against these insecurities that pop up? Yeah, well, I think Ross looks at Monica and sees the criticism that she gets, how they don't take her seriously. And I think he's really scared that that could be him. He doesn't want to look at his parents and see disappointment. So he has to defend against that by doubling down on the, I am going to be perfect. I'm going to be really, really clever. And his defense is called intellectualism. It is literally what it says on, on the tin. He tries to be intellectual. He tries to never get anything wrong. And that is his defense system. He can be that, but he can't only be that. None of us can only be one thing. Because he spent so much time defending against the anxieties inside and trying to be clever, trying to be successful in his career, it means that he's not that well-developed socially, <laughs> which is why he's a bit awkward, why he sort of looks a bit hangdog sometimes yeah, when I he kind of gets things wrong. I watched the pilot before th this record. I watched a bunch of other episodes, but I, just thought, I was quite interested to know how they introduced everyone, mm. you know, for the first time. Mm. And it's very telling. Everyone's in the coffee shop apart from Ross. Uh, and I think Rachel comes last, actually, in her bride oh, gown. Yeah. And then Ross comes in with an umbrella and he says hi and Chandler says every time this guy opens his mouth I want to kill myself that's the introduction <laughs> to Russ <laughs> You can't not love him, really, because he is yeah. very... They're both really, really lov lovable. Mm. And, and I mean, Monica, I think we, we should talk about this in more detail later, but Monica's defence against the constant criticism that she gets is to be perfect in terms of neatness and, and, and control. She just can't really allow herself to not have everything exactly how she wants it. So they're, they're both defending in different ways, but it's both a sort of a version of, of perfection. But actually, the funny thing is, and why the show works well, is the friends don't need them to be those things. The friends prefer them when they're not being those things. They when want to gently, yeah. yeah, they want to like tease them for these these defenses. They want to sort of tease out the other the other sides. So that's why the friends are so important, really. Mm. Well, look, I want to get deeper into like why Monica can't be silly. I think that's an interesting thing. And and I totally, I think when I was young watching Friends, I don't think I really clocked on how like critical her mum was of her as well and how problematic that can be. So I think we should dig into that too. But first, we're going to take a break and then, then we'll get into some control issues and, 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 and parents. So here come the ads, unless you're a subscriber to the Take channel, of course, in which case we'll be back faster than Marcel can hump a chair. Come on, Marcel. Come on. Yeah, we're going to go take a bath. Yes, we are, aren't we? Yes, we are. They're still just friends, right?
Hey, it's Ben here. Shrink the Box is sponsored by BetterHelp. And most of us are very busy. We find it hard to fit an extra, well, extra anything into our day. But what if you had another hour every day? Imagine that. I'd start by working through the massive list of TV shows you guys have got me watching for Shrink. Thing is, we'd all love more time. But actually, if something's really important to us, we prioritize it and make time. A therapy can help you identify what matters to you and how you can do more of it. So if you're thinking of starting, give BetterHelp a try. I know, I use it. It's great. You get matched with a registered therapist. You can switch if it's not clicking for, for no additional charge. It's all online, and that saves you those precious minutes, right? So with over a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash shrink the box today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash shrink the box. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. The Anime Awards this year were amazing, and I'm still not over all of the amazing live musical performances. Honestly, same. The Anime Awards may be over, but our discussion is not. If, like us, you're still not over the Anime Awards show and the results, join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. Listening each week to our breakdown of everything that happened at the 2024 Anime Awards and hear news on the other anime and pop culture that you care about. If you don't want to miss all the post-Anime Awards discussion, then tune in to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Okay, we are back. It's time for the biggie, Sash. We need to talk about Monica's need for control. Yeah, I mean, poor Monica. She's so criticised by her mum. And we first see her tidying the flat when they're expecting a visit from the parents. And she actually says, I just don't want to give them any more ammunition than they already have. So it's mm. to ward off criticism. And a lot of slightly compulsive behaviour can start off as a very rational reason as to why you want want to do something, but then it can sort of escalate. And it's a broad spectrum from just wanting to be a bit tidy to, at the other end, a really serious disorder, OCD. And actually something that upsets me is when people say things like, oh, she's a bit OCD, because uh, OCD is a proper disorder. It's yeah. an illness. Yeah. And being a little bit controlling is not the same. I mean, if you break down OCD, it's obsessive compulsive disorder. Obsessive means your thoughts, when you have persistent, intrusive, unwelcome, unstoppable thoughts that go round and round. 
The compulsive bit is compulsions and those are behaviours. That is the sort of the constant neatening and, and, and tidying or hand washing is, is the famous one. They're repetitious, they're purposeful, they're often done as part of a routine or a ritual, they're structured. Again, they're, they're a defence against anxiety that comes up if I don't do these, these compulsions. So when obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviours intertwine, then it might become a disorder and that's the D part of OCD. So it's you can have obsessive thoughts, you can have compulsive behaviours, but OCD as a disorder is a serious illness. Monica has a lot of compulsions. I don't think she has got OCD. It's a disorder that really disrupts your normal functioning. It, maybe that might be your mental functioning. It might be your actual physical functioning. It can be really debilitating, right? Really you... debilitating. Or, or yeah. you know, you can you can almost have like forms of breakdowns and stuff if something yeah. is is messed with in, in in what you see as the order absolutely required. absolutely which is why it's a, a disorder it mm. is a serious condition in the uk 1.2 percent of the population have it which is about three quarters of a million people but of course people that do live with it the people that they live with are also going to be impacted because yeah. they live with somebody with this disorder so actually more than three quarters of a million, you know over a million people are going to be uh, affected, affected yeah. by it so if we're talking about Monica compulsions and her slightly obsessive thoughts it's how much of it is a problem to you if it is really interfering with your life if it is really impacting your behavior or your thoughts or how you go about your day then maybe you do need help if you don't see it as a problem then it's not a problem it's sort of how much it affects you how disruptive it is to you emotionally or practically yeah has your life become like unmanageable yeah you know Exactly. And I think what's really interesting is we sort of see Monica go through that questioning process of, is this a problem? I didn't know this was a problem. Might it be a problem? That all plays out in real time in, in the show. It's actually kind of bold in a weird way, because when you think back to Friends, you just think of like a really kind of quite vanilla, mm. just lovely show. It's like it's like a warm hug. Like mm. my kids will watch random episodes and I'll sit down and watch them with them. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Mm. The suggestion that Monica has this thing that could, if, you know, pushed to an extreme, become a condition or a disorder mm. that makes her life unmanageable is quite a bold move. Like mm. Phoebe's backstory is quite a bold yeah, move it's, that it, it's quite dark yeah um it's kind of admirable that they're able to write around those topics and sort of be respectful of them mm. it's impressive that they make them funny obviously <laughs> yeah, yeah it adds a slight edge to friends that i think a lot of people including myself probably forgot Mm. was actually there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. We always sort of think of it as just this sort of very, very funny show, but there's some serious, serious issues that they're looking at. They do it with a very light touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why I think we don't we don't really notice them, but, but, but they are there. Definitely. Actually, speaking of which, we mentioned at the top of the show this uh, Green Ottoman <laughs> yeah. incident, right? This is where Rachel's just cleaned the flat and she's moved this piece of furniture. Monica moves it back and they all tell her that she's like, she's obsessed. So let's just have a listen to this. Okay, so I'm responsible, I'm organized, but hey, I can be a kook. <laughs> all right, you madcap gal. <laughs> Try to imagine this. The phone bill arrives, but you don't pay it right away. Why not? Because you're a kook. <laughs> Instead, you wait until they send you a notice. I could do that. 
Okay, okay. Then uh, you let me go grocery shopping, and I buy laundry detergent, but it's not the one with the easy pour spout. Why would someone do that? <laughs> one might wonder. Someone's left a glass on the coffee table. There's no coaster. It's a cold drink. It's a hot day. Little beads of condensation are inching their way closer and closer to the surface of the wood. Stop it! <laughs> oh, my God. It's true. Who am I? Monica, your mom. <laughs> I'm guessing Phoebe's doing the Norman Bates. The, the, yeah, the, is that the, what it is? the, the, the psycho, psycho stabbing. Stabbing, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> the next stage of thought naturally is is this a bigger problem than I thought and can I change it? Oh, well, I think this is such a great scene because, yeah, you see that moment where it goes from being an unconscious thing that she does to being conscious and mm. her friends are the ones that have helped her bring it into consciousness. And they've done it actually quite kindly because she knows they love her and will yeah. accept her, that actually she can hear it. She has this moment of consciousness. She then has to work out what to do with it. Ross helps her along thinking about, the, you know, what this might mean by saying your mum. And so then she has the next stage of thinking, OK, this is where this behaviour has come from. She doesn't want to be her mum. So she has to think, mm, OK, if I don't want to be my mum, I might have to do something. But it's a long and, and painful process. I mean, you can see that after that, that bit of the scene... She tries to go to bed and Rachel says, oh, you've left your shoes behind. And Monica's like, oh, that, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I don't mind. But then you see her lying in bed, tossing and turning, <laughs> thinking, should I go and get the shoes? No, but if I go and get the shoes, then everyone will know I've gone to get the shoes. And then she has this mad thought, well, I could go and get the shoes, bring them in, then get up before everybody else wakes up and, and put, put the them shoes back. back. <laughs> I mean, and it's in that moment that she realises the sort of the lunacy of it, that, that actually this is beyond normal. This is not normal behaviour. This is adversely affecting my sleep, my thoughts, my functioning. And she actually says out loud, oh, I need help. Yeah. And she gets that help from the friends, really, by being unconditionally loved. Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's the sort of heart of the show, right? As cheesy as it is. Yeah. There's always that group hug available, always, yeah. you know. We know about this criticism that she feels from her mum she's fearful of it um, but we haven't actually heard any examples of her mum yet so I think it's, it's worth playing this clip this is uh, Monica's grandma's funeral and this is a moment with her and her mum that tells us quite a lot do you know what it's like to grow up with someone who is critical of every single thing you say I can imagine <laughs> I'm telling you it's a wonder your mother turned out to be the positive, life-affirming person she is. That is a wonder. <laughs> so, tell me something, Mom. If you had to do it all over again, I mean, if she was here right now, would you tell her? Tell her what? How she drove you crazy, picking on every little detail, like... Your hair, for example. I'm not sure I know what you're getting at. Do you think things would have been better if you just told her the truth? No. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly here, we're, we, we're, we're hearing the mum 
is is repeating behavior that that she experienced we can tell like monica is is just slightly kind of in these little digs in there, little bits of sarcasm like can you not see these patterns repeating and you know we we, we teased at the top that maybe it's inevitable we all become our parents mm. who knows i mean what, what do you think yeah well i think that shows the the difference between whether you do want to allow the unconscious to become conscious, whether you do want to shine a light on the behaviour, whether you do want to change. Her mum is a really good example of somebody who doesn't want to look at it. She goes on to say after that, she said, no, I think it's nicer when everybody just gets along. So that's what she's decided to do. Just keep the lid on it, lock it down. Don't let's look at this stuff. And that saves her from her own anxieties. That's her defence. But the problem is, is that she's then just passing on the exact same thing. I mean, it's like the Larkin poem. We all know the first bit about they fuck you up, your mum and dad. Mm -hmm. But then it goes on to say... Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Exactly. And it is that, it's that coastal shelf that like every generation wears it down a little bit until eventually it will collapse. In Monica's case, she is saying, no, I don't want to just keep handing it on down. I don't want to deepen the coastal shelf. I want to shore <laughs> it up. I want to say I could actually not be my mum. I could not endlessly criticise. Because if she has children, which of course Chandra and she does right at the end of however many series it is, she wants her children to be the sort of children who can sit and watch a glass being put down, not on a coaster, with the beads of sweat and not feel too terrified to stick a coaster Mm. underneath it because she's loosened up enough to not keep passing passing it on. So absolutely people can, can change. But it starts with consciousness it starts with awareness it starts with recognition and you need to be supported in that and she is supported by Ross and by the friends and actually that's another really important thing to say because parents do an awful lot of good as well we don't tend to focus them on them so much because that's not what people come into therapy for but the parents are great as well they're clearly kind and loving and supportive they've brought up great kids who are able to have relationships who are able to love each other and be supportive to each other who are able to have friends that that they have good relationships with so it's absolutely not about endlessly saying oh blame the parents blame the parents because we've seen there Judy she you can't blame her because she doesn't know what she's doing she's not been in a position yeah where where she did ever feel able to challenge her mum or perhaps had didn't have the same sort of relationship with with Jack the dad where he could help her to change Mm. so you need awareness but you also need support and you need compassion and you need kindness and you need need love so they haven't done a bad job they've done a great job in in many ways but in this particular area they have fallen short because they were also victims themselves. And sometimes an external trigger that you maybe didn't expect could be a thing that that, that pushes you into yeah. ch- seeking change or, or trying something different. There's a there's a mad episode where Monica's credit card gets stolen, mm. and it turns out someone's impersonating her. The one with the fake Monica. The one with the fake Monica. <laughs> thank you very much. And. Instead of like, you know, getting absolutely furious and like, you know, with the person and, you know, with the police or whatever, with the bank, what she's furious about is herself because she sees what this other person is buying mm, yeah. <laughs> and it's all like way more interesting stuff than she, than, than she would buy. Yeah. And she starts thinking, oh my God, I want to be that mm, Monica Geller. And it's mm. kind of, 
what do you call it? It's like an existential yeah. moment. It's a vision of what she could be. This, And she, I think she says, oh, she's living my life better than I am. And she doesn't even have to have my mother. <laughs> I mean, it's really funny. She goes tap dancing. She tries to make friends with this woman. They get drunk in the middle of the afternoon. They gate crash parties. And she gets to live a version that she could never have. But then fake Monica gets arrested and you kind of see that there is a cost. And also you see how far the pendulum swings because you don't have to either be completely controlled, neurotic, buttoned up Monica. Yeah, or like crazy, or drunk in the daytime, exactly, messy. Exactly, reckless, illegal, fake Monica. The pendulum doesn't need to swing quite that so far fun. from one side to the other. There is a version in the middle where she can allow a little bit of silliness, a little bit of kookiness, a little bit of recklessness. But there is always that tension between who we want to be and the price of change, because the price of change means that her mum might criticise her more. She might have to tolerate how hard it is to watch the beads of sweat drop down onto her table with no coaster. She will have to learn to tolerate the uncomfortableness. But that doesn't mean she has to go out and gate crash um, no. parties. And it ends with her visiting the fake Monica in prison. Yeah, uh, sweet. Of all the things that she could say, which mm. is well within her rights to say, justifiably so, what she chooses to say is thank you. Yeah, she's been given a little glimpse of this is what I could do if I could unbutton. I think it's that little bit right at the end of the show, the little coda. And mm. she goes back to the tap class on her own and somebody says, you're getting it all wrong. And she says, but at least, at least I'm, I'm doing, doing it. it. Yeah. It's so sweet. She's finally embracing the idea that you can do something without being perfect at it. You know, the important thing is she is doing it. She's not letting the fear stop her. So Fate Monica's hugely important on that journey to, am I going to become the neurotic, get up and, you know, move my shoes and then move them back again person? Or can I say, it's okay to not be perfect. I won't be criticised. I might even enjoy it a bit. Yeah, And again, in a way, it was a friend, not one of our central protagonist friends, but it was a friend mm. that helped her see this. Yeah. Uh, even for, you know, It may have been through slightly nefarious <laughs> means. Yeah. Um, but this is a constant theme from episode one to episode one million and one, right? however yeah. many they made. <laughs> That, you know, you can get through a lot, just like the Beatles said, you know, mm. with a little help Yeah. Fr from your friends, you know. Yeah. Um, you have some stats about loneliness, right? They really shocked me. There is a, an organisation called, I think it's called the Campaign to End Loneliness, and they've done so much research and they have realised that it's not only sort of sad and horrible feeling lonely, but it's really bad for your health. It increases your, your risk of being ill by 27%. It's as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's that's, worse I mean, than... That's the one amazing. that is... That, yeah. I just thought that was nuts. Uh, it's worse than obesity, increases your risk of heart attack, stroke, and it's a pandemic. I mean, you know, we've all lived through a pandemic which exacerbated ironically uh, the, the pandemic of loneliness that people were already starting to identify even before. What Friends the Show does is it shows you why Friends the actual people are so important because they help us to see our blind spots. Her mum didn't want to see the blind spot about what the criticism mm. meant. Her friends do show her what her blind spots are. They've kind of got this notion, Ross feels he needs to be exceptional and if he isn't, he'll be hopeless like Monica. And the friends show that there are all sorts of other ways of being, that Monica can be messy, that Ross can be awkward, and they will still be accepted and loved. And they have become really strong and important attachment figures. One of the measures of how secure your attachment is, is who you run to when you're distressed. Mm. When Ross and Monica go to the hospital because their nan is about to die, and the mum again criticises Monica's hair, Monica immediately <laughs> rushes to Ross for a hug. He's her attachment. 
attachment figure, and they all are in a, in a way, being able to reach out for social connection, that is the thing that's going to stop you going into addictions, going into a sort of fight-flight mode, and that's going to stop you tipping over into needing, you know, artificial means or unhealthy means to calm that sense of distress. They are your first line of defence. Go to a person, go to somebody yeah. that you trust, have a hug. Physical contact is yeah, actually yeah. really important. Yeah. Wanted physical contact. Yeah, yeah. friendship. It's yeah. pretty special. All right, fascinating stuff. Don't stop sending your character suggestions because we're just going to keep piling them up and working out who we want to do next, who excites us the most, but also your thoughts, just what you reckon, you know, if you want us to get deeper into some element, if there's there's some uh, psychoanalysis that you think, oh, I'd love to hear a bit more about this thing, let us know. You, and you can get in touch so easily at sh shrink the box at something else without the G.com. All right, Sash, you want to hear a couple of emails? Oh, please. Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is, is quickly becoming one of my favourite moments in mm. the show to know that there's people who actually listening <laughs> and enjoying and, and connecting uh, yeah. to what we've just been talking about yeah brilliant uh, and we seem to get quite a lot of like people in or around your profession I yeah. if there's, there's ever going to be any like cocky actors in touch <laughs> <laughs> but this is another Ben at least he's from Huddersfield and he says uh, hi the podcast is very good Good start, Ben. Like mm -hmm. that one. That's why it jumped out at me. It, <laughs> it gives a real insight into characters, motivations and patterns of behaviour. A few characters I'd love to see on the couch. Kevin Garvey from The Leftovers. It's an American supernatural drama. Uh, what happens to humanity if the rapture actually happens? Yeah, I've heard about that one, but not watched it, but I will check it. His character evolution and the events from season one where he's processing what's happened and the effects it's had on him and the people close to him is what makes the show special. Uh, it's through to the last season where it really pushes him close to the edge of what he can believe in and what he can trust. Um, that does sound... That sounds like a possible goer. Well, I'm going to watch it first. Um, he also suggests Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Uh, he says, Anne Dowd put so much meat onto the bones of the character. Margaret Atwood had already created a very interesting, well-rounded person. The idea that season one is the first book to then take this character into further evolution and make it interesting is superb. Great shouts, both of those. So thanks, Ben. And an Australian listener here, Rachel, says, I'd love to have Jessica Jones on the couch. I'm not usually a Marvel fan, but I loved this show, particularly the first season. Jessica Jones is such a multifaceted superhero with a fractured childhood and trauma. As an adult, she's developed an underlying sadness that seeps through her and has made it difficult for her to form close relationships. The supporting characters are also equally well-drawn, especially David Tennant's. Uh, so cheers, says Rachel from Sydney. Yeah, Jessica Jones, I've not done but there's loads of Marvel I haven't done. I'm sure I'll get round to it at one point. I tend to just ask my kids, is this a good one? <laughs> is it a good one? Is it worth watching? Yes. Okay. They, they told me WandaVision, yes. Mm. You know, I knew there'd be a benefit to having kids. <laughs> you finally day. found it. <laughs> <laughs> so who are we going to have next time? I'm, I'm, I'm licking my lips oh, trying to wonder who it's going to well, be. Well, I felt spoiled for choice. I could do any of the main characters Ooh. from this stupendously good drama. Promising. It's been suggested by many people. So let's take a listen. Kids. Can you give me two minutes? Oh, I changed my mind. I'm staying on. That's Adam from. You fucked me. I know that you've read a lot of books about business management. But sometimes it is a big dick competition. But I'm concerned you might be soft. 
Dad, come on. The world is changing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything changes. He's going to blow the firm's credibility. It's not what's in it for me. Like, what is in it for me? I won the top job. I'm not losing this deal. It's my fucking company. You make your own reality. And once you've done it, everyone's of the opinion. It was all so obvious. But you know what? Fuck them. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's succession. And and the, and the, my probably my favorite theme tune of almost any TV mm-hmm. show. I love it. Oh, so good. So wait, who are we who are we going to do? Oh, well, they I mean they're all so fabulously chilling as you kind of got a sense in that clip, but I thought we could start with Shiv, um. the daughter of media magnate Logan Roy. Who again? We had in the clip. He may or may not be retiring, yeah, um, and all all his kids are vying to be the new boss of his Waystar Royco conglomerate. Yeah, it's a drama that brings like ambition, self interest, and backstab into a whole nother level. And apparently, the actors were given multiple takes, which is unusual with serialized TV, in order to give them the chance to like dick around a bit and writers are throwing in ideas alternative comic lines wow. to find the most cutting things and you can imagine um, Kieran Culkin God. having an absolute ball with oh, her I bet <laughs> God that sounds brilliant but I also heard that they had wealth consultants to advise them how to behave like like the mega rich right, I, mean, yeah. that's, that's, I mean that blew my mind it's like apparently you don't duck when you get out of a helicopter they had to learn that because yeah, they're so yeah I would so, definitely have ducked yeah I would too but, but apparently if you've done it all your life you learn not not to duck um and also they were told that they didn't need to wear coats because they go straight from mansion to limo so of course your door opens and you're on the threshold yeah why would you need a coat yeah yeah well that's (laughs) kind of disturbing speaking of which my pj should be on the something else landing pad by now oh lovely can i have a lift can we drop by Paris so I can do a bit of shopping? Yeah, get a few dresses, but no <laughs> no shawls. You're not going to need anything like that because <laughs> no. I'll drop you right at the threshold, Sash. That's a promise. All Perfect. Right? Thank you. I, instead of saying see you next week, I think it's probably appropriate to say see you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bye then. See ya. Okay, it's time to credit Friends Season 1. It was created and written by David Crane and Marta Kaufman. Additional writing and story editing by Adam Chase, Alexa Young, Jeff Astroff, Mike Sikowitz, Ira Ungerleader, Jeff Greenstein and Jeff Strauss. The clip at the top where Joey, Matt LeBlanc, is teaching Ross, David Schwimmer, how to talk dirty is episode 15 called The One with the Stone Guy, directed by Alan Myerson. The clip where Monica, Courtney Cox, wants to be football champion opposite Joey and Chandler, played by Matthew Perry, of course, is episode 12, the one with the dozen lasagnas, directed by Paul Lazarus. Monica saying she wants to change her parents is episode two, the one with the sonogram at the end, directed by James Burrows. Ross telling Marcel they're off to take a bath is episode 10, the one with the monkey, directed by Peter Bonners. Monica getting upset when the green ottoman moved, that's episode six, the one with the butt directed by Arlene Sanford. And finally, when Monica's mum talks to her about growing up with a critical mother, that's episode eight, the one where Nana dies twice, directed by James Burroughs. Thanks for listening, guys, and see you next week.